Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at two verses tonight, so if you would stand with me as we uh, read the biblical text together. We're going to be thinking and prayerfully considering tonight the God who saves. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 13, this is the word of the Lord. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we come before you tonight um, aware of the busyness of this particular season, especially for those seated in this room, uh, the looming pressure of tests and finals and papers and all of the things that uh, come with that. Uh, we just lay before you. I want to thank you for these students and their faithfulness uh, to your local church that you've entrusted to us. And Father, they've made a commitment tonight uh, to block this time and give it to you. And I pray that you would reward them for their faithfulness to you um, as they finish out this semester. Father, we're also aware tonight that we're not the only people in Springfield who uh, worship you, who are gathering together to uh, sing praises to your name or preach the word. And so our minds and hearts are with uh, Graceway and the college ministry there under the direction of Zach Steele. And we just pray that you would bless their ministry, that you would uh, heap your richest blessings on them. We also think of Second Baptist here in town, Father, as they are uh, narrowing down a search process for a pastor. And we just ask that you would give them wisdom as they seek to uh, replace their pastor of many, many years who's impacted, who has impacted Springfield so powerfully, even my life as a result of his preaching ministry, Father. So I pray that you would reward their labors as they search for a new pastor. And Father, we also know that we're not the only people on the globe tonight. We're not arrogant enough to think that the United States of America is the only place that has the gospel or is ministering to people. And we think of our missionaries, we think of the flor the Floras who are serving you faithfully in Lesotho, Africa, God. And we also think of Ali Alexander, who's a missionary in Colombia. And we ask that you would be with them. And then, Father, we also just want to be careful before we ever dive into your word to be reminded of the fact that there are people around the globe who sit tonight with no hope of eternity spent with you because they have not been reached with the gospel. We think of the Sudi people in China who currently are unreached, unengaged, Think of the Tatar people in Russia who are unreached and unengaged. And so, Father, I pray that out of our college ministry or out of a church in Springfield or out of our church somewhere in our state, that you would raise up missionaries and people who would risk it all to go and take the gospel where you have not been named to unreached, unengaged peoples. And then, Father, now as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would give me clarity of mind as I uh, recall what I've studied and Help us tonight to exalt and make much of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, if we're not careful, significant days in our lives can become numb. Um, later this week, actually this Friday, is December 7th, which to a lot of people will wake up, they'll go to work, They'll go throughout their day and they'll consider nothing 
of the significance of that day. In fact, some of you right now have no idea what I'm talking about, what the implications of December 7, 1941 uh, is or was or what took place on that day. Um, December 7, 1941, uh, FDR said, was a day that would live in infamy because it was the day that Pearl Harbor was attacked and ushered uh, the U.S. into World War II. And what's ironic about any time of sitting president says that a day will live forever, it doesn't take many generations before that day suddenly is not remembered or even thought about. I mean, even think in your own life, uh, the tragedy of 9-11, for some of you, is not as significant of a day, or you cannot clearly remember where you were. We are beginning to live in the era and will soon live in the era where children who are born will not have been alive when 9-11 took place. And if, it's, if we're not careful, days can lose their sense of awe. And also at this, the, the, the flip side of that is that if we're not careful, we can over-signify a day. Um, our country has done a very great job at bringing way too much significance to every single day. You say, how is that so? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but today is um, Satchard Court Day. You probably have no idea what that is. I don't even really understand what it is. Apparently, it's a type of court that's very famous in Vienna, and that is today's day. Also, bathtub party day. I don't know what that means. I'm a little bit unnerved by the implications of celebrating bathtub parties. Also, International Ninja Day. <laughs> and the implications of that run awry. There's literally a national day calendar where you can go on any particular day and figure out what is the today's celebrated national days. Um, and so it's possible to do one or the other with days. I mean, it's, and it's important and significant that we memorialize right days or right times in our own lives and we set them apart. But it's also there's a balance between not becoming too religious with a day and also not becoming numb to it. In June of 1995, as a five-year-old, I trusted Christ. Um, that is a very significant day. Followed secondly by July 28th, 2012, which is the day that I got married. Followed third by the days that I have been blessed to be your pastor. Now, I just want to give you a heads up. You're about to move to day most significant time four. There's a baby on the way. We don't know who they are. They're not even available to be placed with that baby. But that is coming down the pike. Some of you will be called on to babysit that significant child. Some of you will be intentionally avoided to babysit that child. But that will be a significant day. It will be a significant day in two respects. One, when we're placed with that child, but even more so when a judge's gavel comes down in a courtroom here in Springfield and pronounces that that child officially is a part of our family. That's a significant day. 
And in the same respect, the day that the gavel went down in heaven and you moved from alien, you moved from enemy, you moved from being openly hostile towards the things of God, when the gavel went down in heaven declaring you to be a child of God, the living God, you through Christ, that is a significant and important day. And at the end of Paul's Thanksgiving section, as he finishes and concludes the way that he prays for the Colossians, he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He moves to verses 13 and 14 and declares why there should be thankfulness to God the Father, why we should be thankful for what God has done in the lives of the Colossian believers and to the people around us as he has delivered them. So two things tonight. Again, two things. The God who saves acts two specific ways. Some of you would say God acts two specific ways. So he works two specific ways in this particular text. First, God delivers. Look at verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. The beginning of the overflow for which Paul is thankful comes from the fact that God had delivered him and the Colossians from the power of darkness into the kingdom of light. All who are in Christ, if you're sitting in here tonight and you genuinely know Christ as your Savior, should be in awe of the fact that God, in His kindness, has moved you from darkness to light. It should overwhelm you. It should transform you. You should be in awe of it. Not in the sense of the day that it is accomplished, but in the act itself. That's what the idea of having days of remembrance are for. The idea is to remember palpably on that day what has taken place. But it's not the only day that you should celebrate it. It's very weird to live in the United States of America during our current time because July 4th is a day where we all are to celebrate what we have as a country. And it is a weird day because on July 3rd and July 5th, there are a great number of people who are not grateful, not pleased, not happy about what has taken place in our country. And yet for the 4th of July, we'll celebrate like their Uncle Sam. Let me bring this closer to home. It would be weird if the only day I acted like Jess and I were married was on July 28th. And the other 364 days, I was dating other girls, 
going around town. I just assure you of one thing. I know that there is the capacity to cheat on my wife. I know I have that capacity in the grand sense of that is an available ability. But if you were to stack up my track record with women pre-Jessica and then bring that statistic into the reality of my ability to cheat, you would know that it's very low. It is within the realm of possibility. But we would say it is very odd for you to only act as if you're married on one specific day. Getting ready to marry uh, two couples this month. Uh, my little shingle hung out as a pastor has attracted many a people, apparently, inside of our college ministry to get married. So I'm officiating weddings, which turns out you don't officiate them the same way you officiate basketball games or umpire baseball games. It's kind of be really cool in a moment of officiating a wedding if someone got up and had an argument with the minister. Like the father of the bride is just going at it face to face screaming at the minister. But alas, that doesn't happen. And what is odd is we will do premarital counseling with people and there's no assumption that the only day that the people who sit in my office and do premarital counseling are going to act like they're married is on that one day. Yet here's what's strikingly odd. There are many Christians who celebrate the day that they were converted, yet the other 364 days act like they don't know Christ. If the God who has delivered them has genuinely delivered them, they should stand in awe and submit to him on a regular basis, overwhelmed by the fact that they were under the domain of darkness. Catch this. This is what it means to be under the domain of darkness. It's unrelenting tyranny of sin that controls and compels the person who doesn't know Christ. It's a tyranny. It, it wraps from the top to the bottom. I love what Conrad Mabwewe says about this. Christians are deceived into thinking that sin only affects the outward actions that they do. That it only affects the outward action of the world. The problem with sin, though, is not that it affects our actions. It's that the disease is on the inside. It corrupts every part of us. The domain of darkness covers every bit of who we are. We are sinners to our core. And Christ has set us free. But make no mistake, beloved, God is the initiating agent in this. God sends his son to deliver us from the domain of darkness. I love what a Puritan John Davnot said. He said, observe here the immeasurable love of God who would deliver such person. For no one cares to redeem a thing of no value. Understand that in the deliverance from the domain of darkness, you've been marked out as someone valuable from God. God has marked you as valuable, that you are worth something to him. 
that you matter. You're not just a mere clump of cells or some random person to an almighty God, but rather you're of value and worth and dignity. And he has delivered you, Christian, from the domain of darkness. And you might be sitting in here tonight not knowing, never have experienced deliverance from the domain of darkness. Praise God, he's made it available to you just as much as he made it available to a five-year-old boy who at a family camp was basically an excuse for your family to go to upstate Wisconsin on vacation and your parents to have someone else to watch kids. But in a family camp in upstate Wisconsin, I sat in a room. I cannot, I can remember partially what the room looked like. I can't remember what the lesson was on. I do know this. I remember being incredibly aware of this thing, that I was a sinner and that if something didn't change, I was in trouble. And I remember a student leader taking me into another room and on a wall was a wall lined with chairs stacked up. I still think this is incredibly wise on the part of the leader. He or she, I can't remember, picked me up and put me on the top of the stack of chairs so that we could be at eye level. And that leader led me through how I could know Christ. And it has forever changed the person I am. Beloved, if you're sitting in here tonight and you've never experienced the deliverance from the sin that you know, you know, even now, as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is working to convict you of the fact that you know that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That you know that left to your own devices, you will and are incapable of saving yourself. That's where this domain of darkness leads. It impacts everything of who we are. It is the defining characteristic of the unsaved person. They're trapped in it. They can't get out of it. No matter how much harder they try, try and try to deliver themselves they can't they have no hope because outside of Christ there is no hope they stand or one day stand before a God who is holy who is righteous who is just and they know some of you, even in here tonight, know that we're here to stand in front of the God of the Bible and have to give an account for your life. You know that there is nothing inherently in you that would allow God to look at you and declare you righteous. And here's the other thing. 
to the person who's sitting in here who knows Christ, it's important that we understand that we've been delivered. And we live as people who've been delivered. John MacArthur said, believers do not need deliverance from the dominion of sin and Satan. They need to act as those who have been delivered. Christ follower tonight. Are you walking around defeated? Are you walking around going, I just don't understand how I could sin again this way in this manner and do this thing again. You've been delivered. You've been set free. You're still going to struggle with sin, but praise God, you have freedom in Christ to redeem you in that moment. So many times we're guilty of trying to pull ourselves up and defeat sin when Christ has already defeated it. And our mistake is that in the moment of temptation, rather than leaning into Christ, we lean into ourselves. Then we sin. And we beat ourselves up. Now, to a degree, that is necessary. For that produces, hopefully, godly repentance and pushes us towards Christ the next time. That we are tempted in that area to see Christ as most glorious and most beautiful and most worthy of being followed. And rather than trying to rely on our own strength, we plug into the power of Christ to defeat that sin. So I want to ask you this particular question tonight. I want you to think seriously on this. Have you been delivered from the kingdom of darkness? Have you been set free from the sin that is in you? Not just the sin that comes out, but the ones that are in. Not merely to have an experience behavior change but to be rescued from within and the power of Christ allows you to defeat and put sin to death Christian tonight are you in awe of what God has done for you do you reflect on it regularly do you press into the fact that God has delivered you You know, this has been difficult for me in my life. I genuinely believe I came to know Christ at five years old. I genuinely have a distinct memory of that. But I grew up in a world and environment of churches that was far more concerned with the amount of people who were coming forward and signing cards and saying they came to know Christ than they were of helping people who genuinely converted find rest in that conversion. So I grew up in a church environment where I would hear things like this. If you cannot remember everything about the moment that you were converted in, if you cannot remember what you said, where you were, what everything was around you, what pictures were hanging on the wall, what wallpaper, the color of the carpet. If you can't remember everything about what happened in that moment, 
You need to come to know Christ, and I would be plagued and perplexed and plagued and perplexed. I distinctly remember at eight having another experience of conversion. And then I remember at 11 sitting in a church service and a really bad, and I'm, I'm going to lovingly say this, and this is one of the, the bad parts about these things being recorded, but that's okay. I sat under, at 11, one of the worst revivals I've ever been in. And I remember going home so fearful that if I died, I would spend eternity in hell. Because I could not, at 11, remember everything that had happened at 5. It was terrifying. I couldn't sleep. remember distinctly walking through our family room in our house in Iowa and saying to my mom at 11, tears just rolling down my face. I think if I die tonight, I will spend eternity in hell. And if only a loving mom could do in that moment, rather than build a false confidence in a conversion and rather than capturing on an emotional moment sent me back to my room and said you need to talk to God and not rely on what anyone remembers or what you feel like Oh, what a gift from God. Some of you tonight, your, your greatest fear is that you will spend eternity separated from God because you just don't know. And I'm going to do the exact same thing my godly mother did with me and tell you two things. One, it is not the quality or the quantity of your faith that saves you, but the object of it. If you truly believe in Christ and you know that you are a sinner and you have repented of your sins and confessed Christ as Lord and believe in him. The Bible says you are converted. But do not let the conviction of what you're experiencing press you into Christ or out from Christ, but rather to fall on your face before God and figure out what is going on. The Bible is clear. Holy Spirit, as he convicts and continues to convict and works through the word and tries to draw you back to himself, can and will at times, if it is severe enough, drive you to the point of questioning your salvation, to draw you back to himself. Peter talks about this in 1st and 2nd Peter. 
And I want to encourage you tonight to not leave this place unaware of Christ. And at this point, you can't be. You sat under the clear gospel preaching of Christ. I would encourage you not to leave this place tonight. I would encourage you to make sure that you are right with God, whether you sinned before you came in here as a believer or you came in questioning whether or not you're genuinely converted or if you don't know Christ. There's plenty of room for us to apply what this text says, regardless of where we are. I need to stand regularly in awe of the God who has delivered me from darkness. But not only do I need to stand in awe of the one who's delivered me from darkness, I also need to stand in awe of the one who transfers. Because God does not just merely deliver, God transfers us. Look at verse 13, the second half. I'll read it again for us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's not that he's merely delivered us. He's transferred us. The, the New King James uses the word conveyed. Other translations use the word transferred. Some have said rescued. But make no mistake, God moves you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And praise God that he transfers us. That he doesn't merely just rescue us, but that he moves us from darkness to light. That we enter into the kingdom of his son. I love the book of Colossians. We may be here for years. Because we just cannot move so fast as to miss this. Beloved, you've been transferred. If you know Christ, you have been moved from being controlled by sin to being controlled by the Spirit. That's why Paul will tell one of his churches, because I can't remember where this is, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You've been moved. You've been transferred. You've been taken from your former home and placed in a new one, a far better one, a far greater one, one to delight in, one to be enjoyed. You've been given a new last name. You used to hate him. Now you love him. You used to be his enemy. And not in the sense that God viewed you as his enemy, but that you, prior to conversion, the book of Romans tells us, you viewed God as your enemy. He went from enemy to now, I am a friend of God. That's what's taking place. You've been adopted. Who takes on new meaning. Without, but make no mistake, we could go here for hours. We won't. What is the requirement, though? How does this all take place? Why does anyone under the age of 50 get excited about this? 
because of verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He's redeemed us. He's purchased us. He's bought us by the shedding of his blood. Hebrews makes this clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And the blood of bulls and goats and, and any other animal was never going to be enough to, sac- to satisfy the wrath of God. But merely was pacifying it as the people of God awaited the perfect sacrifice. And the perfect sacrifice arrives as Jesus Christ. Who is truly God and truly man who walks and lives a perfect and sinless life. And through his active obedience to the Father, willingly lays down his life on the cross and his blood is poured out. Let me just say this to you tonight. I I fear that we're staring down the barrel of yet another time where we're going to hear and be told that the cross is divine child abuse. And we need to clean up the Gospels, the end. Too much blood, too much gore. It's not safe to tell children that a man hung on a cross For their sins. Beloved. Without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sins. There is no shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is no perfect sacrifice. It's why we're able to sing. We don't sing it very often. We're able to sing. There is a fountain filled with blood. That flows from Emmanuel's veins. People say that's weird. You gather together on a Sunday morning and sing about a fountain filled with blood that flows from Jesus Christ's veins. Why would you do that, you bunch of weirdos? Because without that blood, we have no hope. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 tells us. But we've been made alive by placing our faith and trust in Christ. It's that shedding of blood that brings about the last phrase, the most important phrase in these two short verses, the forgiveness of sins. Isaiah 53 tells us that by his stripes we are healed. That through his suffering, through his agony, Through his death-bearing sacrifice, the perfect and sinless Son of God hangs on Calvary, condemned. And the Father turns his back on the Son and pours out his wrath for all sin, past, present, and future on the cross. You ever wonder why when you get to the end of the gospel stories, it gets so dark? Why is that? Because as the father turns his back on the son and pours out his wrath, there is so much sin 
praise God with all of it. Not part of it, not some of it, with all of it. And through his death and then his resurrection, he provides the means by which we can escape the wrath to come. Tonight, have you already escaped the wrath to come? June of 95, I escaped the wrath to come. In fact, sometimes I tell people, I've prayed to receive Christ so many times, I'm not really sure which one fell. But I know one of them did. Because guess what? It wasn't the words that I said that saved me. It was the object of the faith that I put my trust, my whole life in his hands. And beloved, it has been far better than anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. So two questions tonight. One, have you experienced this? Have you experienced being set free from those sins? If you haven't, you can. If you haven't, in a moment we're going to sing. Some of the adults in the back, you can grab a friend, anyone, can show you from Scripture how you can come to know Christ. But two, for the Christian sitting in the room, in the busiest season of your life, as you press into finals, have you already lost the awe of the one who saved you? And maybe it hasn't been caused by a busy season. Maybe it's been quite some time since you were in awe of the one who saved you. I want to press you tonight to come back under that awe, that wonder, that amazement at the work that Christ has done in your life and to thank him. This is what Paul is saying. The reason why we're so thankful for you, Colossians, is because this is what Christ has done for you and what God has accomplished through his son. We desire the same thing for you tonight. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Crave College Ministry Sermons from Crossway Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. For more information about Crave, you can connect with us online at crosswaybc.org forward slash college or on social media at Crossway Crave. Again, thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great day.